0: One parable here after giving four is one of four parables, the last of four parables that Jesus gives. And all four of the parables are sort of looking um, to heaven. And so Jesus ends us with this last parable before he moves into what we call Passion Week. I invite you now to listen to God's word. When the Son of Man comes in his glory, all the angels with him, And he will sit on the throne of this glory. All the nations will be gathered before him. And he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will put the sheep at his right hand and the goats at his left. Then the king will say to those at his right hand, Come, you that are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry. And you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you gave me clothing. I was sick, and you took care of me. I was in prison, and you visited me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord. You did it to me. Then he will say to those on his left hand, You that are cursed, depart from me in the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me no food. I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, and you did not welcome me. Naked, and you did not give me clothing. Sick and in prison, and you did not visit me. Then they will also answer, Lord... Friends, the word of our Lord. Thanks be to God. To start the calendar year off, if Matthew uh, told a story about Winston Churchill that I find hilarious, and well, I find it brings us back full circle today. Uh, during World War II, when the most urgent matters of World war of the war needed attention. Prime Minister Winston Churchill would sometimes visit the United States to address Congress and meet with the President Franklin um, Roosevelt in the White House. Churchill had this odd habit of practicing his speeches in front of a mirror, completely nude. And one evening, Roosevelt wheeled around the corner of the White House, guest suite, and there's Churchill in front of the mirror, completely naked, practicing his speech. Roosevelt called his breath and said, uh, My apologies, Mr. Prime Minister, I did not mean to interrupt. Churchill turned on his heels and faced Roosevelt and waved his hands and replied, Oh, on the contrary, the Prime Minister of England has nothing to hide from the President of the United States. It was, Winston, it was Winston Churchill, after all. They used to imagine uh, the audience was naked to get over his fear of public speaking. He's the one who gave us that. Now, public speaker experts argue that is actually a terrible strategy, as we all can imagine why that's a bad strategy. Instead, they, imagined, um, they say, imagine the opposite, not in a literal sense, because that would create its own problems in itself, but metaphorically, uh, feel naked, while you're up there public speaking, feel naked in the sense that you have um, been put on the spot in front of everyone, so there is nothing for you to hide. Therefore, be authentic. Be completely vulnerable. Be yourself, hiding nothing to the audience. It sounds simple. But to be that vulnerable is extremely difficult. And according to what we just read, One day, we'll all be in front of Jesus, unable to hide anything, completely vulnerable. What Jesus will say to everyone in history, I was naked, and either you clothed me or you did not. For us to respond, when did we see you naked? And Jesus would say, It's all right there in the gospel, every bit of it. Do you remember that day when I was crucified, when I was whipped and I was tormented by the soldiers? I was naked then. The soldiers saw me naked, they clothed me, they gave me a purple robe and a crown uh, full of thorns. Not very helpful. I was thirsty on that cross as well. Do you remember that too? The people around gave me a sponge dipped in vinegar. Again, not very helpful. And I was hungry. I spent 40 days in the wilderness. I was starving. I was offered a stone so I could turn it into bread. Again, not helpful. And as far as being a stranger, it's written there in Scripture. He was in the world, and the world came into being through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to what was his own, and his own people did not accept him. In fact, when I went home to Nazareth, they tried to push me off a cliff. They all knew my name. And yet, I was certainly a stranger to every one of them. As for being sick that night in Gethsemane, You may recall, my sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. And what did my companions do that night? They fell asleep. Not helpful. And remember when I was led away in prison, my closest companion followed at a distance and was asked three times if he knew me. And three times he denied that he knew me at the top of his voice. Once again, that was not helpful either. But Jesus, Jesus would reply, that was then, this is now. If we would have been around 2,000 years ago, we would have known it was your face. We would have recognized you. If it's that simple, Jesus will respond. Then why didn't any of them? It's an interesting question. We ask it a lot when we read the Gospels. We sort of make fun of the disciples for not seeing Jesus. uh, But the truth is, if it were that simple, why didn't they recognize Jesus? Moreover, why do we have such a hard time recognizing Jesus in the year 2023? After all, Jesus has made it very simple to where he'll be. Do you know anyone who is hungry or thirsty? Do you know anyone who is sick? Anyone shivering from a lack of clothing? Do you know where the closest prison is? That's where I am, Jesus says to you and me. It's that simple. That is where you will see me. Notice what Jesus does not mention. Jesus never says anything about creeds or doctrines or salvation dates. There is actually nothing specifically religious about this text at all. Nor does it appear that Jesus is worried about strategic outcomes, vision plans, or how efficient the church is. And also notice that Jesus says nothing about ending world hunger or curing cancer or dissolving gangs. Instead, Jesus simply says, put food on the table for the family that has none. Sit next to the lady with cancer. Visit the man in prison. Keep it simple, Jesus says. That is what being a disciple is all about that is where you'll see me in this world. Elaine Pagels says Jesus' words, "Or well, what you do to the least of these you do to me are the basis for a radical new social structure that based on God-given dignity and the value of every human being. perhaps, perhaps there lies the complexity to the simple approach that Jesus gives us to be disciples. Because what Jesus is actually telling us to do is to move away, to, to stop hiding behind religion or politicians or political parties. Get away from those, hide them from the nonprofits and technology and statistics and strategies. And anytime we get up close and personal with what Jesus is calling us to do. Anytime we move away from what we're hiding from, whenever we're exposed that close to all such truths, our first tendency is to do what we've been doing since the beginning of time. We look away. We grab the closest leaves of the closest branch, and we tell each other to cover up that naked truth. Because the truth is, we have never been comfortable with such rawness. And Jesus knows this. And so at the very end of Jesus' gospel, Jesus says, Don't worry. In all your doubts, I will be with you into the end of the ages. In an interview before his death, Vincent Harding who worked alongside Martin Luther King Jr. and others during the civil rights movement, commented on the that there have been recent increase in writings about this terminology, kumbaya. He called it Kumbaya Moments, where we have been made fun of, making fun of this whole experience that came out of the black church of them singing that song, Kumbaya. Whenever someone jokes about Kumbaya, Harding recalls, my mind goes back to Mississippi's summer experience where coworkers were coming from all over the country, especially um, student types, to come and to help us in the process of voter registration and the freedom of school teaching. Many had taken great risks on the behalf of the transformation of the state and also of this nation. The first week in orientation was the week in which uh, Schwerner and Goodman and their beloved brother Jimmy were there. And it was during the time that they had left campus that they were first arrested and then released. And then the three of them murdered. The word came back to us at orientation that the three of them had not been heard of, heard from. And we got up and we told these hundreds of predominantly white, young people that if any of them felt that at this point they needed to go home, that they needed needed to return, that we would not think any less of them at all. But we would be grateful to them for how far they've come to this point. We told them that they should be proud of coming this far. We said, let's take a couple of hours just for people to make decisions, and let's make them now. And what I found as I moved among these small groups that began to gather to help each other was that in group after group after group, people were singing, Come by here, my Lord. Somebody's missing, Lord. Come by here. We all need you, Lord. Come by here. After that, I could never laugh at kumbaya moments. Because I saw at that point that almost no one went home. As difficult and as vulnerable it was, we were asking them to do even though they we're asking them to do something so simple as to help people register to vote, every one of them were going to continue on the way that they hadn't committed themselves to. <clears throat> and a great part of that reason why they were able to do that was because of the strength and the power and the commitment they had been gained through this experience of embracing one another seeing the naked truth of the world around them and singing kumbaya. This most radical statement that Jesus makes, what you do for the least of these you do to me, is Jesus is telling us that God is not a passive God. Instead, God is a God that gets messy <clears throat> with all the messiness of our world. Whom by Yah, we pray for God to respond. I am already here. In just a few moments, we'll celebrate the Lord's Supper. This meal is one of the ways that Jesus promised us to come among us, turning our scarcity into His complete abundance. By us participating in the Lord's Supper, we not end poverty. Today, it's not going to even end our hunger or our thirst forever. But we do it because we do it to meet Jesus and Jesus's nakedness. At this table is the most intimate as we can be to Jesus it turns our embarrassment into tenderness it takes all the perilousness against the nouns like poverty and crime and war and hungry and it makes those words real people who we become face to face with because this particular meal together meets us at our level of Of our most basic humanness, which involves our need for one another. This is what Jesus is telling us when he says, What you do for the least of these, you do for me. Through Jesus, you help me fill all of my emptiness, just as I help you fill yours. Coming to this table is not a naive statement by Christians. Just like seeing the face of Jesus in these, in the least of these is not naive either. Instead, they're just simple acts that Jesus has us do. Because this is how Jesus chooses to change and shape our communities. Which means, when we leave here, After coming to this table, we are no longer insulated from ourselves, from all the rawness of this world. The simple act of this table and seeing the face of Jesus means that we go out there and we see the face of Jesus in everyone we meet, revealing to us the naked truth of the world around us. And to prepare us to see that naked truth out there, to see Jesus in the face of everyone that we meet, I'm going to ask us to do something that's uncomfortable. As we come forward and take communion today, I'm going to ask that we form a circle. The choir will come down and we'll have one big circle as a church family. It won't be a circle, it'll be an oval, it'll be weird in shape, but God will love it. And then while we're in that circle, I invite you to look at that person across from you. And then think about that person to your left and to that person to your right. And know this, whatever pain that you are facing this morning, that person across from you, that person to your right, the person to your left, they stand in front of Jesus as naked as you are, which means you too have been exposed this morning, so in this safe place with friends, let me ask you, where are you hungry? Where are you thirsty? Where are you naked? Where are you a stranger? Where are you sick? Where are you in prison? Sam Wells calls these the places of our nakedness. These are the the points of nakedness we fear to be revealed when we encounter the rawness of others' distress. We want to come to judgment to see clothed in all of our achievements and our complete professionalisms and all of our possessions and our polite distance. But it turns out Jesus sees through all of that clothing. And Jesus sees us as as naked as the day we were born. One day. Everyone in history will ask Jesus, when do we see you naked? And he'll answer, that moment when you stood before, or beside the least of my brothers and sisters, and realized how painful that you were, that you were just as naked before me as they